Welcome to Driving Forces, where we focus on the big issues in city, state, and national politics that matter to you. You were just listening to Let's Talk with John Kane. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. Welcome back to WBAI. In the last few weeks, it seems as if the news has been incredibly fast moving early on as the starting in late December when the first news of the coronavirus first appeared. I started to obsess a bit about it and track what was going on and thinking this is just just something that's not going to be isolated to one region. And as we can tell now here in New York City, uh, the impact is starting to impact how we go about our daily lives. According to the latest numbers, 22 people in New York City have tested positive for the coronavirus. This includes two New York City residents and a number of others in surrounding communities and surrounding counties. Uh, apparently, according to reports later this afternoon, the stock market took another significant drop, a 3% drop that took place today. Uh, each day, this is just impacting our lives and our livelihoods even more, fluctuating the financial markets, hurting business, a number of the restaurants that I've gone to, for instance, in Flushing. As I walk by them now, I see that patronage is much smaller. Uh, schools are being shut down. If you hadn't heard, also California declared a state of emergency. I don't want to appear alarmist. It's just that if you are hearing uh, advice from folks about steps that you can at least take to be a little preventative, such as the simple things about washing your hands, for instance, and if you are not feeling well, to self-quarantine, to, to stay home, uh, it's important to, it, to heed that advice uh, because a majority of these cases, from what I had just read, a majority of these uh, can be self-controlled uh, if you are starting uh, to feel ill and you take care of yourself. Uh, but in the most extreme cases, obviously, you do need uh, to seek medical attention. Now, that's what's going on with coronavirus. And throughout this show and our show on Sunday, City Watch, I'll be able to keep giving you some updates and talk with a number of elected officials and experts about uh, their views on this. But the other fast-moving story, I'm sure your our WBAI listeners are, have been tuning into this, is what's been going on nationally with the presidential election just in the last week. Think about the the fast-moving dropouts that have taken place between Steyer, Klobuchar, Buttigieg, uh, Mike Bloomberg, and now Elizabeth Warren as of today. I mean, Tuesday, Super Tuesday of this week, was the biggest day of voting in this primary season right now, and it awarded almost a third of all the delegates that were up for grabs. But as everyone coalesced, dropped out and coalesced behind Biden, that influenced possibly – uh, you know, I'm reading the tea leaves that influenced uh, a lot of the results. Uh, now, Senator Bernie Sanders, who I know a lot of our listeners support, had taken his home state, Vermont. He also won Colorado, Utah and California. But uh, uh, Biden, Joe Biden won 10 states, Maine being the last one that went to him on Wednesday. And as experts analyzed the exit polls, it seemed that urban voters, upscale and middle class suburban voters and rural Appalachian voters uh, went for Joe Biden. Uh, now, this is going to keep moving forward. I mean, think about that. We've got Michigan and Washington state primaries coming up and then Florida, Illinois and Arizona uh, in the next dozen days. 
And uh, Bloomberg, uh, if you had not read, I'm sure you had heard about this, immediately threw his support behind Biden. I guess the big question, uh, John Cain just raised this to me right before the show, too. The big question is, where will Elizabeth Warren go? Uh, will she support her longtime friend Bernie Sanders or will she shift over to Joe Biden as a number of others uh, have done already? So that's something we're going to keep an eye on as well. The next contests again are on Tuesday of next week. And then the next Democratic debate with the remaining candidates who qualify for this uh, is on March 15th. By the way, with Warren dropping out, uh, and I'm using the word viable here, and some of you might disagree with me, but we now have no uh, longer, no more viable uh, women candidates in this race right now. I mean, I know Tulsi Gabbard has not said anything yet, but uh, I'm looking at those who've appeared on stage uh, at the debates. So uh, I'm now going to get on to our first guest. We're going back to city politics right now, but this is someone who has weighed in, has announced his support for one of the presidential candidates who still is standing right now. Uh, our our uh, guest today, my guest, is New York City Council member Justin Brannon, whose 43rd council district spans Bay Ridge, Diker Heights, Bensonhurst, uh, Bath Beach, and Brooklyn. Now, while he's been a council member since being elected in 2017 from a field that once had 10 candidates, uh, he wasn't always involved in politics or government, and we're going to talk a little about that. He's going to be on for the majority of of this show for this hour. And uh, Reggie is wonderfully going to be able to patch in some calls uh, for the council member during the show. We'll start that uh, in about 15 minutes. Uh, but for now, Justin Brandon, welcome to WBAI. Right on, Jeff. It's so good to be on. I'm a, uh, a long, long time WBAI fan, so it's an honor. Well, I, I was going to get to this shortly, but since you just said that, I do want to bring up something about your past because you also worked as a commercial announcer at WNEW FM. That's right. I grew up uh, listening to Lynn Samuels and uh, Fred Hershkowitz on Home Fries on WBAI when I was a kid. Um, so I fell in love with radio at a very early age. And yada, 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 years later, I ended up at WNEW uh, announcing commercials. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I miss those days. Well, you should also you know keep WBAI in mind for when your third term ends. <laughs> Something to, something to fall back on. <laughs> so let's go back to your personal story, because as I as I noted, you did not start out in politics. Talk a little about your personal, you know, your career trajectory. Um, well, I mean, honestly, a, a lot of it did start to crystallize for me when I started working in radio, because I became a shop steward at um, at AFTRA at the time. But I think. Um, I think falling in love with local government was what really inspired me. You know, I was, you know, I was running for office was just never something that I really thought about. I, I definitely wasn't one of these little kids who ran around, in, you know, wearing a bow tie and told everyone that I wanted to be president one day. Um, you know, politics just just wasn't my thing. I mean, as a teenager, uh, I, I really got my start as an activist. You know, um, I had a bunch of older friends who used to bring me to the, you know, the AIDS awareness and rallies and, and marches in the city. And I got involved in animal rights activism. Uh, but it wasn't really until years later that I made the connection between, uh, you know, activism and electoral politics. Um, 
I just always loved helping people. That's how I was raised. I was sort of brought up understanding that I had a responsibility to look out for, uh, you know, my fellow man and that life was, was more than just me and, and my immediate surroundings. And, um, you know, my parents taught me about civil rights and, and fairness and justice and then the importance of helping people in need and standing up for people who had, had no one to stand up for them. And um, But, you know, local government really showed me that, that someone like me, you know, could, could run for office. You know, someone that uh, I never took a poli sci class. I'm not a lawyer, um, but but I love my community and I love helping people. And that's that's really all you need to run for office. You know, and in college, you majored in journalism. Right. I studied journalism. I'm, I'm a writer at heart. Um, I, I write about, you know, 15 op-eds a week. Um, writing is just is just something that I'm, I've always been drawn to and communicating, but it certainly comes in handy uh, for this job. And for folks who might uh, say, I know his name from somewhere, but it's not politics and government. Can you talk a little about your musical career? <laughs> sure. So I spent uh, over a decade on the road. Uh, touring in uh, a hardcore band. Um, hardcore is, is sort of, uh, I guess, you know, your dentist might call it a cross between punk rock and heavy metal. Um, but uh, yeah, I spent about 10 years on the road uh, in bands, you know, touring the world. We went to uh, 50-something countries and put out a whole bunch of albums and seven inches and stuff. And um, it was it was a great experience. It's a great way to, to spend a decade if you have one to spare. I highly recommend it. So when you first, I guess I should say, uh, talk about your uh, political or your government career before, because I'm curious when you made that decision that I'm going to run for office, what your former bandmate said. Uh, so <laughs> tell me a little about that engagement. Um, it's interesting because I wasn't, you know, I didn't run. I have had, I've had people ask me this, and you'd be surprised. There's a lot of people who are involved in politics and policy, um, you know, and, and, and kids like me who grew up as activists and then eventually, you know, bought a suit and started getting into policy and stuff. Um, you'd be surprised how you run into folks who came from the same scene. Um, so for me, it, it's, it, it was a logical straight line from A to B, you know, from, from being in a band. Because the music that we played, you know, it wasn't sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, the music we were playing was about social justice and about the environment and about questioning authority and, and, and all that stuff, you know. So um, for, for me, it, it made a lot of sense, you know. Um, and I think looking back at, you know, all the songs that we wrote, I mean, it was really a document of what we were all going through at the time, you know. Um, and, um, you know, so it, you could relate with people. And, 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 you know, we would go to different countries and different cities, obviously. And, people speaking different languages, but we all were going through the same stuff as, you know, teenagers or, or, or people in our, in our early 20s, you know. So um, that was, it was a very powerful experience. And your first job in government, was that working for Vinnie Gentile? Yeah, I, I got a job working for my local councilman at the time, uh, who I ended up succeeding, uh, Councilman Vinnie Gentile. So – uh, we're going to get into some of the legislative issues that you've worked on, and I, I know uh, I'm familiar since I'm a uh, a loyal follower of your Twitter feed about a number of, <laughs> of the issues, and, and I'll get to some. But you know, you mentioned animal rights activism, and I do want to bring up for our listeners something that I, I I do find very endearing. You had adopted two, if I'm correct, two greyhound dogs that had been former racing dogs. That's right. So they are retired, um, you know, um, the same way they have horse racing, dog racing is still unfortunately legal in some states, and Florida happens to be one of the few where it's still legal. It won't be for much longer, but for now it is. And um, 
we adopted two uh, racing greyhounds who a couple of months ago were running their hearts out down in Florida, and now they're sleeping on my couch in Brooklyn. <laughs> Listen, listening to uh, songs <laughs> from Most Precious Blood and Indecision. I'm listening to WBAI. Of <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. That's good. Thank you. So let's go. Uh, <laughs> let's go over to your council priorities because I do want to get to the presidential election because uh, I really want to know, and I think our listeners would love to hear your perspective on Super Tuesday results and where we go forward. But before we get to that, just want to talk a little more about your legislative priorities since uh, you know what uh, what you've wanted to focus on generally or broadly since you took office. Sure. Well, I'm the chair of the um, the somewhat new um, Waterfront and Resiliency Committee. So obviously, you know, climate climate change uh, is super super important to me. And you know, I, I think you know the first step is acknowledging um, that climate change is is the greatest existential threat of our time. Um, and I think the second step is recognizing the importance of uh, of planting trees whose shade we may never enjoy, both literally and figuratively. Um, you know, and I've been making a lot of noise on the, the fact that New York City is just not ready uh, for the next superstorm. We are nowhere near ready. Um, it's been seven years since Hurricane Sandy, um, and I think it really exposed just how unprepared we were uh, for a climate disaster. Um, you know, and, and in those seven years, I think residents living, you know, uh, on New York City's shoreline, primarily in low-income communities of color in the outer boroughs, have, have tried to rebuild their neighborhoods and recover what they lost and prepare for the next climate disaster. But um, as one of, you know, America's uh, three most hurricane-vulnerable urban centers, New York City really has to ask itself, what has the city accomplished in those seven years since Hurricane Sandy to prepare for the next major hurricane? And, you know, when you look outside Manhattan, it turns out that we've really done very little. Um, you know, it seems like every week there's a new initiative aimed at shielding lower Manhattan from the next climate disaster, but uh, you don't really hear much about what's going on in the outer boroughs. Um, and, and with every new storm, I think it, it becomes obvious just, just how little progress has been made in the outer boroughs. So that's, that's a big issue for me. You know, look, I, I've got nothing but love for lower Manhattan. I totally understand Manhattan is still the economic engine that drives our city, but the fuel for that engine is, is roaring and living in the outer boroughs. And if the people in the outer boroughs are not protected, well, then, you know, the, the economic engine is going to shut down. So, yeah, I think I've been focusing on really trying to identify some of our most you know, vulnerable areas along the, the outer boroughs and design you know, a comprehensive plan to protect them um, because we need to do it immediately. You, know, you hear a lot of people saying it's not a matter of if, but when. But you know, every day, when gets closer and closer and closer. And um, you know, I think Sandy really should have been our clarion call, but, but I worry that it wasn't. You know? And um, I think, uh, you know, unfortunately, our city's leadership didn't really respond to Sandy's wake-up call, and it, I, frankly, it still hasn't. But it's not too late, you know, yet. It's not too late yet. And, uh, you know, I've seen some pieces on New York One by my former colleague, Amanda Farinacci, about some of the homes on Staten Island and how long it has taken. My mind also goes to uh, Trump, the Trump administration's action regarding the multi-million dollar federal study that was going to be done. And that's basically pulling the plug on that. Why do you think they did that? I mean, look, I, <laughs> you know, one of my flaws is that I give people the benefit of the doubt. And I think, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to I don't want to think that. He is is trying to punish New York. Um, I don't want to think that. But I am just completely puzzled. I mean, I have no idea why they would walk away from this study. Um, 
and it's 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 really really scary because we can't the city and the state can't fund this on our own um and having you know having the the, the army corps of engineers walk away from the study is really what i've called a dereliction of duty um and and if this is about politics then that that's really really disgraceful so uh do you think the city is prepared now for another sandy Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, you know, the mayor launched a $10 billion plan to extend, uh, you know, lower Manhattan's coastline by 500 feet. Um, but, but meanwhile, the areas that were most deeply effective, the shorelines along the outer boroughs, are, are seeing a markedly slower response, you know. Um, and um, it's, it's a real problem, you know, because things are only going to get worse. The storms are only going to get worse. And we need to prepare for a future climate that will, you know, be more volatile than, than anything the city has ever seen. Um, and I just don't think we're ready. I mean, it's one of those things where I don't want to be right. I, I, I don't want to be right about this, but I know that I am. And it's frankly, it scares the hell out of me. So the phone lines are going to be open in just a few minutes, and the number to call would be 212-209-2877. You're listening to WBAI. This is Driving Forces. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and I'm joined by New York City Council Member Justin Brannan. Uh, Bernie Sanders, let's talk about Super Tuesday. What? First of all, did you stay up all night to watch all the results come in, and what went through your <laughs> mind as you saw them come in or heard about them came in, come in if you went to sleep early? Um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't too surprised. I mean, you saw a, a, a you know um, a consolidation um, of the folks sort of in the center that happened you know on the eve of Super Tuesday. So I wasn't that shocked by it. Um, I, I thought that you know eventually something like that was going to happen. You know, um, but you know, look, I endorse Bernie because the guy has fought for the little guy his entire career. He's been saying the same thing for 40 years. I don't know any politician who's been saying the same thing for 40 years. Um, and, and, and I respect that. You know, I represent a, a working and middle-class district in Brooklyn. It's, it's made up of families that have been here for generations and, and also families that just got here yesterday. You know, and, but across the board, you know, my constituents uh, need a president who's, who's con- committed to building a country that's going to work for all of us and not just the wealthy and the well-connected. And I, I believe that Bernie has truly built – um, a, a, a movement, a durable movement that's going to last, that's built to last, that has united working people across, you know, racial and class and, and political divides. And I think that that's the kind of leadership that we need uh, right now. And I think that now, you know, as we get into this funnel where it's going to be Bernie versus Biden, I think, you know, the lines are going to be made clearer. And I think it's I look forward to those debates. You know, I look forward to uh, the discussion over over you know which way the soul of our country is going to go you know I, I think I don't think anyone can disagree that we're in an unprecedented era of of wealth inequality that that's really you know just wrecking havoc on on the ways that we interact with each other I, I see it every day we're, we're all squeezed we everybody is frustrated and 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 all too often I see people who are are taking their anger out on the little guy the person you know you see people taking their anger out on the person that they perceive to be beneath them. You know, they're blaming immigrants, they're blaming poor people, they're blaming people who, who, who are frankly also down on their luck. But meanwhile, 
it's not the little guy who who is still is stealing wages. It's not the little guy who is uh, uh, monopolizing entire industries and, and wiping out jobs. It's not the little guy who is uh, profiting off the ba- basic needs like health care or destroying the air we breathe and the water we drink. And, you know, it, it's the big guy. It's the guy on top. It's the guy with, with the most power and the most access. And, and, and uh, the big guy absolutely wants us to blame the little guy because while we're distracted and fighting each other, like in the, in the Tom and Jerry cartoons, he's, you know, rifling through our pockets and, and robbing us all blind. So I think we need to come together. I think we need to all go after the the big guy and we need to stop uh, punching down and start and start punching up because I do believe that we can create a society that's more equal where where working people get their fair share. And I think we can we need to unify the country and heal from the disparities that have been tearing us apart. And, and from the guy that's in the White House right now that is that is really exploiting uh, these divisions. You know, and I think Bernie is the only guy that can do that. And what's interesting is that one of the biggest challenges that Biden faces is that he just doesn't seem to sum it up that enthusiasm or the infectious enthusiasm the way Bernie Sanders uh, does here in New York. You know, we've got some time before uh, we get to our uh, when you and I head to the polls. But, you know, where do you envision this going here in New York, especially if it's we're still into a race where by that point it could just be Biden because, right, it's Biden, uh, Tulsi Gabbard and uh, and Sanders right now. Uh, Who am I forgetting? Am I forgetting anyone? I think that's everybody. I think that's, so let's just assume right now we're going to have Biden and Sanders at that point. Where do you see this going in New York? Because here in Brooklyn, where we're based, he has a significant following. Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, I was I was surprised back in 2016 uh, in the primary. Bernie beat Hillary in my district. Um, and then and then Hillary barely beat Trump in my district in the general election. So he you know, Bernie is really resonating in areas that people might not think uh, that 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 he resonates in, or or you know they didn't think before that he would have resonated in. Um, look, I'm I'm uh, you know look I'm I endorse Bernie Sanders because I believe in what he's saying. I believe that the stuff that he was saying back in 2016 that some people thought was radical is now basically baseline for the the, the Democratic Party, which says a lot because it's stuff that that Bernie has been saying for you know decades. Um, but look, I'm a guy that's going to support whoever the nominee is because there's too much on the line here. The stakes are way too high, um, and whoever the nominee is is going to have to be who we all get behind, and that's and that's the bottom line. And um, I hope that people will embrace just how uh, critical this moment is that we really all have to come out and we have to get rid of the demagogue in, in the White House. What kind of soul searching do you think Elizabeth Warren is going through right now? Because she dropped out, but has not made an announcement about where she, who she's going to support. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of a lot of my friends are very passionate supporters uh, of Elizabeth Warren. Um, I fell in love with Senator Warren years ago when I saw a YouTube video of her talking about. She was at like a house party with like five people standing in a doorway and talking about the social contract about you know really peeling back the the layers of when people uh you know feel that they're they're self-made you know and it's this sort of every man for himself sort of capitalism where yeah okay you got rich but you got rich because you know you were kept safe by a police department and the fire department and you got rich because you were able to you know move goods across roads that taxpayers built like i really fell in love with her at that point um this was years ago um and look i, I i'd like to think that 
you know, uh, she's going to throw her support uh, behind Bernie to try to consolidate um, what, you know, people consider the left, um, if we're considering Biden the center. Um, I'd like to think that that would happen. I think that needs to happen um, in order for us to move forward here. Um, um, but I think, you know, I, you know, part of it be- becomes this viability and electability argument where, I'm, you know, I'm hearing people who, you know, it's funny, the same people who are saying, um, you know, that Bernie would have won the first time, you know, I'm starting to hear folks say, uh, you know, that, that it can't be Bernie because we're going to lose, which doesn't make any sense to me because they were just saying that Bernie would have beat Trump. And now, you know, now they're, they're changing their minds and they're sort of getting spooked. So I just hope that we can come together. Um, and I think that the the election this year is so damn important and the stakes are so goddamn high that you know people like you said i mean people need someone who's going to fire people up it's going to come down to turnout you know and i think unfortunately uh nuance right now is, is dead you know i i feel that things are very tribal and things are very toxic and i can see it even on the local level where Folks are very divided, and it's 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 not good, you know. But if it's if it's going to be one of those elections where folks are sort of, you know, just into their corners, well, then you're going to need someone who's really going to going to drive up the drive up the turnout, and that means someone who's going to get out young voters who um, and is going to fire people up to come out and vote. And I just don't see uh, Joe Biden firing firing people up. So I'm going to go back to uh, city issues. I want to remind our listeners that the number to call is 212-209-2877. Again, that's 212-209-2877. I'm talking to New York City Council member Justin Brannon. A little earlier, you talked about the you mentioned the city's response uh, after Hurricane Sandy and how long it is is taking uh, to be able to get certain communities back up uh, to pre-Sandy shape. And I'm curious about the mayor's record on other issues uh, where you stand on that. For instance, on education, when, you know, what do you see as his biggest flaws and his biggest accomplishments uh, during his tenure as mayor? I mean, I worked for, uh, I worked for the mayor at the Department of Education uh, when we were rolling out, uh, you know, the early days of UPK. So I'm certainly biased. Um, You know, I think UPK is really his crowning achievement. I mean, that was just an absolute game changer um, in so many ways, not just for obviously the students, but for the burden that was relieved from parents. Uh, you know, that was just an, an absolute game changer. That is something that even the hardest critics of the mayor, um, you know, admit um, that, that the UPK was really, really uh, crucial and a huge, huge accomplishment and something that, um, you know, his critics, uh, while, you know, even on his campaign when he was running for mayor, people thought that never in a million years would he be able to pull that off. They said it was, uh, you know, just some nonsense campaign promise, some pie in the sky kind of thing. And he did it. You know, to his credit, he did pull it off and um, he proved everyone wrong. And, and it's been amazing. You know, um, 3K, I think, <clears throat> could also really be a huge success. Um, Unfortunately, um, it does feel like we keep moving the goalposts as far as when that's finally going to get done citywide. Uh, you don't see the urgency that was uh, that you know he kind of put his shoulder into UPK, unfortunately, uh, which is strange because I think UPK was such a success that he'd be able to get the same sort of groundswell support for doing 3K. Uh, but we haven't seen that yet, um, and in a lot of communities, uh, you know, people are really, uh, really disappointed about that. Um, and because of your work with the Department of Education, I'm curious how you feel about the uh, 
the vision that he had to overhaul the entrance exams, the SHSATs, uh, to be able to gain access to the specialized high schools? Sure. So I, I took a stance on that. I mean, the SHSAT has enabled generations of students from low-income and, and immigrant families to realize the American dream. And I have a, a massive, massive um, you know, Chinese population in my district. Um, you know, I, I don't feel that killing the test is the answer. You know, um, I think that we need to rededicate ourselves to, to broadening access to expanding GNT and, and, dis- and the discovery program and and the and outreach to historically uh, underserved communities. You know, I think killing the test would basically be throwing in the towel and saying, okay, we've done everything you know that we can do here. Um, you know, I, I feel uh, killing the test would be basically saying, okay, you know, uh, majority minority districts that we're just throwing in the towel. We're saying we're saying that we're we're, we're no longer going to try to provide uh, majority minority districts access to the kind of uh, enhanced academics that provide a real pathway to specialized schools. Um, you know, if the administration feels that they've exhausted all their options um, in, in majority minority districts, then it's embarrassing. So um, I've been pretty vocal on that. Um, you know, I think uh, I, I think it's a tough it's a tough issue. I, I, for me, I don't see why. You want to throw the pie away. Why not just expand the pie? Why not just create more specialized schools? You know, um, I think, and I also think that ending SHSAT without providing adequate funding and a commitment to educating, uh, you know, all students equitably will do nothing to resolve the, the terrible lack of diversity in our schools, specialized or otherwise. So you're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host of Driving Forces, Jeff Simmons, on the line with New York City Council Member Justin Brannan. Uh, the number to call is 212-209-2877, and we've got a caller on the line right now. Uh, welcome to WBAI. Uh, what is your name, and what's your question for the council member? Uh, my name is Cliff Lee. Uh, I'm impressed with this young man. What's his name? Justin Brannon. Oh, Brannon, yeah. Uh, I wanted to know what instrument did you play? I'm a musician, and most musicians are pretty progressive, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Cliff, I, uh, I play guitar. I taught myself how to play guitar. I know, like, three chords. (laughs) (laughs) But those, but those... Those three chords took me around the world, so I learned the right three chords. Hey, that's yeah. a good one. What do you but play, no, Cliff? I was just inter- interested in that, and I like the way you're talking. You sound good to me. Uh, right on, man. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Thank you. Any, any, any way that I live in Clown Heights, but you, you don't cover this area, right? No, no, not yet. Not yet, at least. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Cliff, right. thanks so much for being a loyal WBII listener. By the way, council member. Get that, get that, guy, get that guy at BII tote bag, will you? <laughs> I was going to say uh, that, uh, what do you call it, where can people find your music if they want to hear some of your music? Oh, God help us. Um, you could, uh, I mean, we're on Spotify and all that nonsense. You can find us. Um you know, uh, we have a whole bunch of records that we put out, and I think most of it is online at this point. So, if you go on Spotify or uh, Pandora or whatever the kids are, or the kid, whatever program <laughs> the kids are <laughs> accessing these days, yeah, we're on there somewhere. We've got another caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What is your name, and what's your question for the council member? Richard. 
Richard, and uh, what I'm responding to is what was just said about the specialized high schools. Okay. So there are eight. Three of them are governed by the state law, <clears throat> which says that admission is by the specialized high school exam. Stuyvesant, Bronx Science, Brooklyn Tech. The other five are new, newer, and are not governed by that law, and so they don't have to have only that test as the barometer for who gets in. And as you can tell from, for example, Bronx, uh, Stuyvesant, last year, out of 895 admissions, they gave seven to African-American students who are a big part of the city uh, <clears throat> public school population. So what I'm suggesting is you've got three that are uh, governed by that state law, five that aren't. For those five, you, you have the opportunity to diversify the admissions criteria. And uh, at, at the moment, black and Hispanic students make up a majority of the city student population and are very small percentages in those high schools, and uh, this, is, this would be one way of um, making things a little more diversified. Thank you so much, Richard. Councilman, any uh, reflections on that? Look, he's right. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not. I'm not afraid to say that this. None of this is easy. I, I know we need to desegregate our schools. I know that the the Stuyvesant numbers are absolutely shameful. You know, I, like I said, I represent a very large Asian American community, and I, I also understand their anger and and bewilderment at the idea of of killing the test. You know. Um, uh, the fact that only 10% of specialized high school students are, are black or Latino, despite making up 70% uh, of the city's overall student population, is a real glaring problem. I mean, you cannot ignore that. You cannot deny that. It's disgraceful. I just don't know that, that getting rid of the SAT is, is going to fix that. You know, I think, look, I, above all, I think none of these decisions can be rushed. I think you've got to bring parents and educators and stakeholders. They all have to be heard in order for a true consensus to be reached before any uh, any drastic changes are made. But I, I think a, most people agree that City Hall rolled this thing out like a bull in a china shop, you know? Okay, well, thank you so much, Richard, for giving us a call. And uh, you just mentioned the population, the, the folks that you represent, and my mind immediately went to something I said near the outset of the show when I was talking about the impact of coronavirus. And I believe you've also tweeted this because I was outraged when I saw a tweet about what had happened in uh, Forest Hills, Queens. I think you might have tweeted uh, the response to that. Or it's the anti-Asian sentiment or, or the reactions that we're seeing from people right now And uh, you know, as we're hearing about cases involving coronavirus. Can you talk a little about what you're hearing in the district and, and what you're doing to kind of counter, you know, the misinformation and the fear that's out there that's being misdirected? Absolutely. I mean, we have been just about, you know, every for the past, basically since the beginning of February, uh, end of January, um, we have been uh, doing everything we can to stand with the Chinese community uh, to make it clear that we are not going to tolerate anyone using a, you know, what is now a global uh, health crisis as an excuse to divide people or spread hatred and xenophobia. Um, you know, in, in times like these, information accuracy is is crucial. Uh, social media is not the place you want to go for facts about just about anything these days, but especially 
um, when you're in the midst of a time like this where things are crazy and things are changing by the minute. Um, so misinformation and, and frankly disinformation about uh, the coronavirus is, is impacting, uh, you know, Chinese, Asian American businesses in, in a very, very bad way. You know, um, so I, I, I've been going. I think I've eaten dim sum at every restaurant I can possibly eat at in my in my district, just to show the businesses are open and everyone needs to. There's nothing to worry about. You know, I mean, we're a city of. 8.6 million people, and I think last I checked, there were four confirmed cases of coronavirus, you know, so there's no reason to panic, uh, but it's important and it's incumbent on elected officials and leaders to stand against, you know, loud and proud against harassment and, and racism and misinformation that's related to this virus. We've got to stick together in, in the face of fear because, you know, in times like these, the, the only thing that spreads faster uh, than, than germs is is uh, misinformation and disinformation and bigotry, you know, the, the rise in uh, anti-Asian bigotry since the news of, of coronavirus hit is, has been really disturbing, you know, and, and xenophobia is never okay. And unfortunately, uh, you know, people find these reasons, these, these moments as reasons to think that this kind of thing is okay, and it's not. So people need to stay calm. They got to stay safe by knowing the facts. But they also have to understand that, you know, bad information, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous, you know. So we've got another caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what's your question for the council member? Yeah, hi. Uh, this is Lisa. So I, um, I back in the 80s, I remember knowing a lot of folks black that graduated from Brooklyn Tech. Definitely, I knew more than, you know, at least four or five that graduated from Brooklyn Tech, and I know I didn't know the whole graduating class alone so how is it that all of a sudden blacks are less intelligent less capable to get into these uh schools so for us to not think that something's wrong with the test that it needs to be thrown out or, or figured out what changed in the test that makes it so um so exclusive now I don't think that's a very progressive stance, and I don't know why everybody's so scared of the Asian population that they're like, oh, no, we can't touch the test because they're having outcry. Blacks have been in this country for 400 years under oppression, and, and when things are racist and things aren't right, seven, seven blacks in the school system cannot be okay to anyone, and you've got to look at the test. Lisa, thanks so much. Council member, any thoughts on that? I mean, she's not. I mean, she's not wrong. I mean, it's it's disgraceful. It's despicable, um, and I'm not denying that. You know, but I also, uh, you know, it's also unfortunate and, and a symptom of this reality that now, you know, you're pitting communities against each other. You know, and that's certainly not what anybody wants. You know, um, but look, I, I don't think there's anyone that, that that's arguing or debating that the, the public education system in our city it remains one of the most segregated and unequally resourced school systems in the entire country and it's reflective of uh inequality and segregation in other areas of our civic life you know and and one place where that segregation is starkly obvious is is in admissions to our specialized high schools you know um but but i also think that fostering you know the, the feeder schools is another way we another thing we should look at to improve diversity in the specialized high schools you know i mean when you have some kids who spend their weekends leading up to taking this test when they know what the text they know what the test looks like you know they they've been prepared for it and there's other kids that go in they've never seen the test before so that's not setting anybody up for for 
for uh, you know for success. So that's that's something we need to look at too. We need to take a really holistic look at this. I just don't think that killing the test is is the answer. I don't think that you kill the test and tomorrow you wake up and the schools are desegregated. So you're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm your host Jeff Simmons. I'm on the phone with on the line with New York City yeah. Council member Justin Brannon. We've got another caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what is your question for the council member? Good afternoon. I'm Ken. Hi Ken. Yeah, I graduated Brooklyn Tech in 75. And I think all this thing about getting rid of you, you're, just, you're, you're going to bring down the quality of the education. You've got to start in the junior high schools. You've got to educate the kids in the junior high schools so that they can get into these schools. You're, just, you're, you're going to bring down the quality of education if you, if you put people in who cannot make the grade. Ken, thank you so and much. It's not a- Thank you so much for giving us a call. Uh, Council member, I want to go to something else because I know we've, you know, we've only got about, say, 12 minutes left and you have a good amount of legislation. I might not get to all of it, but there was one or there is one that was shaped by, in my view, given some of the uh, notes that I have, that was shaped by your experience. It's the all in ticket bill, kind of what, uh, you know, what the costs are. I remember what it was when I was growing up, when I went to see, I'm dating myself here, when I went to see uh, uh, Pat Benatar and the cars uh, <laughs> and what the costs are right now. Uh, so can you, I know, I'm dating myself. Can Back you, in my day, I paid a nickel to see Pat Benatar. <laughs> uh, can you talk? Well, I also saw Rush, Sticks. I can go through that whole, I know. Oh, Rush. Sticks. I love Sticks. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little about the all-in ticket bill? Sure. So... The Olin ticket bill was, um, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, the whole, there ought to be a law, that kind of thing. I remember when I first got elected thinking, what the heck am I going to come up with as now I'm a law, I'm a big fancy lawmaker now. What am I going to come up with? Because the city's been around for quite a while. I'm pretty sure that everything has been taken care of. Um, And I don't want to be one of these politicians that walks around, uh, you know, with a handful of solutions looking for problems. But one of the things that um, I started thinking about was when you go to buy tickets to uh, a concert or to the opera or to, to whatever, uh, you know, online, you know, nine times out of 10, the tickets start off at, you know, say the, say the tickets are 30 bucks and yada, yada, yada. By the time you're done buying the tickets, you're paying $115 for the, for the one ticket. And it's, it's a whole bunch of hidden fees. Um, you know, back in the day when, when I was in a band and we were on tour, a face value ticket meant just that. You paid whatever the ticket price was. There were no gotcha fees. There was no, you know, hidden surcharges. Now you got a $25 ticket that's turning into $55 after all these, you know, quote unquote service fees and all this stuff that they don't reveal, uh, you know, until the very end when you got your credit card out. So, my bill would make that practice illegal. It would require um, all advertising for tickets sold in the city of New York to be the final price, so that no price uh, before, uh, sorry, so that you couldn't advertise the price before all these added fees on top. So you couldn't say, you know, come to this show, it's only 20 bucks a ticket, but in reality, when you're done, you know, with the transaction, it's $45. Um, you know, there was just a hearing, this is national news now, there was a hearing in D.C. just last month on this exact issue, and all the major ticket sellers like Ticketmaster and StubHub, they all say that they support this, you know, so... I think it's time that we did it here in the city of New York to to pave the way for the rest of the nation to act. Where does it stand right now? Um, it's we're waiting to have a hearing in the city council. The bill hasn't been introduced. We're waiting to have a hearing. 
Great. And the other, the, uh, one other measure I did want to bring up right now, and if we have time, I'll go to a third, uh, was the privacy bill that you introduced, uh, uh, intro 1630, uh, regarding uh, data usage. Can you talk a little about that? Absolutely. So um, this is a huge, huge issue. And you're seeing, again, a lot of the stuff you're seeing now is because nothing good is going on in Washington, you're starting to see that the states and the municipalities um, – have to take action. You know, this is something that, frankly, you know, privacy, uh, data privacy is an issue really that should be handled by the federal government. Um, but as we've seen, you know, that, that Trump basically leveraged this and exploited some of these loopholes during his campaign, I don't think it's high up on his to-do list to, to fix what needs to be fixed when it comes to data privacy. So the bill that we have it would protect every person in the city of New York from having their data sold and used um, you know, for unauthorized purposes to entities where they're completely unaware that their data is being sold or used. Um, I'd love for something like this to be done on the federal level uh, rather than, you know, on the municipality by municipality level. But again, I don't think this is going to happen anytime soon. So we're taking action. You see states like uh, California and the EU have taken action and passed consumer privacy protection bills, just like the one that we're uh, proposing here in the city. Uh, there's a bill in New Jersey, I know, that, that is being heard in committee hearings as well. And I think that the city needs to follow suit. You know, I think there needs to be very clear uh, opt-in language so that consumers know exactly what their data is being used for. Um, I think bottom line is our privacy is just that. It shouldn't be sold to the highest bidder uh, by telecom companies who bury this kind of language in, you know, point two font when you sign up for their service. And, um, you know, a lot of, most of these telecom companies have even admitted uh, that the practice is messed up and that they're self-policing, but frankly, I don't trust them. So the bill would codify that and codify what they're supposedly already doing. The telecom companies are saying they don't do this anymore. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't trust you. So we need to write a law um, that would allow for some sort of legal recourse uh, by consumers should these companies illegally sell their data. And I think it needs to get done. So you're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. I'm on the line with New York City Council Member Justin Brannon. We've got another caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what's your question for the council member? Yeah, it's Lee calling. And um, my question is, is there a reason why New York City and State have to stay in this common core curriculum? And the other part to that is, when will everybody be included in the history? When will the inclusion part come? I can't understand what the holdup is on that. Perhaps you can, you know, throw a little light on that for me. Sure. I mean, look, one of the frustrating things, um, Lee, about being a city council person is, um, you know, when it comes to education issues like the things you've raised, um, our powers are pretty limited, you know, because we really only can call on the state to do X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, Common Core, I mean, certainly there's, there's always a lot of discussion around that. Um, I think, you know, we're moving in the right direction as far as education in the city where we're seeing um, conversations happening now where you can't just focus on the test. You have to focus on holistically educating kids and preparing them for the real world. Um, and, and I think that we are moving in that direction. You know, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's, things are changing very rapidly. But I would say over the past five or ten years, we're certainly moving in the right direction. Um, and when it comes to curriculum, certainly. I mean, you know, you saw recently 
after some of the anti-Semitic attacks, uh, there were some bills that were introduced to uh, include um, you know more awareness in curriculum, and that's something that we constantly need to be adding. You know, I think as uh, as we become more aware and as as we progress in in society and civilization, we need to constantly be tweaking this stuff and not afraid uh, to to tweak and to add to this stuff so that, you know, the stuff that I was taught, you know, 10,000 years ago when I was in public school, they need to be teaching more. And not not only because so many things have happened since then, but because our awareness and our perception of things has really deepened. So I think, you know, part of it is not being afraid uh, to to fix what, what might be broken. Thank you so much for giving us a call. So we've got just a few minutes left, and uh, I wanted to just rather than go through all the pieces of legislation, I want to get to the you know the the core of Justin Brannon. So <laughs> as as you reflect on your term, because you're up for an, uh, you uh, many uh, most of the council members are term limited out, but you still have one more uh, term, if I'm correct. Uh, as you think about the coming years, what do you want your major accomplishments to be in this role? I mean, look, I'm not a guy – I never in a million years thought I was going to run for office. Um, I still pinch myself every morning when I think that I, I'm so lucky, truly, to have the opportunity to represent the neighborhoods where I grew up. Um, it's it's very, very, very cool. Um, but, you know, you, you want to leave some sort of legacy and you want to get things done. And, you know, I'm not here to change the world. It's not my job to change the world, but it is my job – to look after the neighborhoods that I represent and to try to, you know, leave my district just a little bit better than how I found it. Um, you know, and I, and I try to do that by just, you know, making work, making the lives of working people just a little bit easier, you know, just a little bit easier in their immediate reality when they walk down the stairs from their apartment and they get on the subway and they go to work and they drop their kid off at school and they do it all again and over and over and over again, just trying to make sure that those folks know that I'm here, uh, that I'm listening, and that, you know, as a leader, I know when I know when it's time to listen. I know when it's time to learn. Um, and I'm just trying to make their lives just a little bit easier, you know, um, when it comes to, you know, big, big issues like affordable housing or climate change or property taxes or, or the, the subways and the buses, understanding that I'm going through the same stuff that they're going through, I'm not some magical creature. Um, I live in the neighborhood that they live in, um, and I'm just trying to do the right thing by them because when they get up and, you know, their job is to get up and go to work and make their life and the, the, the lives of their family better. My job is to get up and go to City Hall and to fight like hell for them um, and try to be as accessible as possible. And I think by doing that, you, you help people believe in government again and the believe that the system can work for you if you have someone um, – who can really advocate for you um, and who can sort of, you know, be the, uh, the sky in, in the bureaucratic safari that so, much, so many of us deal with on a day-to-day basis, trying to be the tour guide in the bureaucratic safari. Um, you know, and that's how you make people, I believe, believe um, in the system and believe that the government of the people, by the people, for the people, that it can work for you um, if you know how to use it and if you know how to speak up and if you, if you have representatives who understand um, that it is their privilege to serve um, and, and the power that is given to me by the people, my job is to put the power back into their hands. 
Um, so I have a very, you know, sort of basic view on that, you know, and I think that before you get people to come along with you on these these sort of big ticket items, so to speak, you got to get them to believe in the fact that you can get the potholes filled and you can get a stop sign put up and you can get a speed bump, you know, put on their streets so their kids can play safe. You know, that's how you make people believe in the system really from the ground up. Um, you know, and, and and to lift up the voices that are typically left out, you know, and the people that um, might not, you know, have direct access to power, to make sure that they know um, that that the the members uh, of government are there and elected by them and paid by their tax dollars to to fight for them, you know, and. You know, one of the things I do is I, I don't just sit in my office and wait for the phone to ring when, for someone to tell me they've got a problem that needs to be fixed. You've got to meet people where they're at. You have to go to people. You have to bring yourself to people. You have to constantly, you know, basically be campaigning to remind people that you're here um, and that, you know, I go out there looking for work. I go out there looking for problems so that people can know that I'm here and that know that my team is here and that we can help them, whether it's legislatively or whether it's just simple quality of life stuff. Um, and I think that's how you make people believe believe in government again. So uh, for the listeners who aren't familiar with you and want to learn more about you, how can they uh, follow you? How can they learn more about your work? Sure. I mean, you can obviously just Google my name, you know, Justin Brandon, or I'm on Twitter at Justin Brandon. I'm way cooler on Twitter than I am in real life. <laughs> Um, in real life, I'm a total crashing bore, but on Twitter, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty intellectual. Um, but yeah, I mean, just follow me there. Look me up on Google and reach out to me. And whether you live in my district or not, I'd love to hear from you and love to hear ideas, policy ideas. And again, I mean, some of the best stuff comes from people walking into the office and saying, you know, there ought to be a law. You know, some of the, the best ideas we have come from that kind of stuff. So never be afraid to reach out to your, your local elected officials. We don't bite, and um, you pay our salary. So it's our job to listen. So I want to thank you for joining me today. I want you to stay on the line as I sign off because we have a special treat for you. And just I don't oh want you to miss the special treat. But I want to thank you, New York City Council Member Justin Brannon, for spending this hour with us on WBAI. I'm going to be back on Sunday with City Watch at 6 o'clock with my co-host David Brand for International Women's Day with Annika Michael from Amplify Her. Uh, also, New York City Council Member Carlina Rivera and a Girl Scout who's been receiving much acclaim for her community involvement. She's going to be a great example of a leader I'm sure we're going to hear from in future decades. Again, if you missed any part of this show, visit us at WBAI.org. Go to Programs and then Archives. This show will be up in about 10 minutes. So with that, we're going to sign off with a, not our normal closing music, but with a special tune for the New York City Council Member. Thanks again.